I am so impressed. Here it is supposed to be 85 degrees today, and look at you people. You came. We're talking about it. I mean, you've been here, Doc, as long as I have, right? When did you see 85, 86? It's supposed to in June. I don't remember it. I remember some July and August, and I played softball in the 80s, but I don't remember June this hot. So maybe, uh, maybe we do get some solar flares, Carrington effect, and all of that cool stuff. If anybody can, anybody deserves global warming, it's people that got snowed on in May. Well, that'll be cool. And I've, uh, as you know, I've, I've looked at this global warming stuff. Whenever Greenland, they grew grapes in Greenland. Uh, back, what, four or five hundred years ago, they had vineyards there. And there was, um, the aircraft that uh, was flying over the North Pole and was going to attack Germany uh, ran out of fuel and landed on Greenland. And they were all, they just landed on the beach. And they were all in perfect condition. And they were, they're now covered by almost 250 feet of ice. And they're digging them out. And they're pristine. I think that project's still going on. But that's just been in my lifetime, this really heavy cooling period. Um, so, we're due for warming. Maybe we get it. <clears throat> Today we have a, wow, now I'm a little worried that I'm too loud. Huh? Uh, Lori, so you know, made, uh, where is she? She made a hundred hamburgers. So that means what? Twenty apiece. I mean, we, how about cake? Did anybody bring cake? Banana bread. We're big winners. So, uh, so. <sighs> I don't know if there's any other announcements that I'm supposed to have. I doubt it. Oh, uh, no meeting on July the 7th. We are, we're going to take July the 7th off. Uh, that's uh, Lori and I's big, almost final push on my mom's house is that week. We're going to see if we can get it done enough to where we can get it uh, uh, stable enough to have the bank come by and tell us what to do next, if anything. So. We're going to go ahead and miss that um, day during 4th of July. Uh, we anticipated that most people would have things to do anyway, and we'd end up kind of like today. But, uh, that's just how it is. Uh, I'm going to talk about last week really a lot here today because last, uh, just so you know and you're not surprised, we had technical difficulties last week. We lost the first 15 minutes, and we lost the last 10, 15 minutes. And so um, um, I'm going to, as you might have remembered, I had I read a bunch of mail, and I did that because I've been getting a bunch of mail, and, and I'm going to have to kind of go over that again. Let me make sure I've got it all again. I do. The ones that I'm going to repeat, um, and they're almost always the same. They're asking questions about us, and so I, I feel like the very part that I did last week just for them didn't make it. So here I am again with this uh, situation, and I know that's very frustrating to you folks who come, and, and I don't know how to deal with it other than to try to squeeze it in again and hope we get it this time. Uh, is Lori got the kids then? Okay, well, let's uh, go ahead and fire it up. Can everybody hear me? Okay, we don't need to turn the fans off and make it colder in here or warmer, either one. Okay, we're going good. Ready, Terry? Here we go. June the 16th, 2013, lecture discussion number 113, 113 on the Book of Romans. And this, of course, is the special Father's Day lecture. And apparently it's 84 degrees in Anchorage, uh, which is extraordinary. I was just talking about that. And uh, I know you all want to know what the weather is. Uh, we're actually hotter than Sacramento. And not only are we hotter in the daytime, but we're hotter at night than Sacramento, which uh, is pretty, uh, pretty unusual, I think. That's where Lori's family is. So those of you who want to know why we know that. Okay. Uh, we're, I'm going to have to begin lecture number 113 with more than a usual review because we, uh, due to technical issues, uh, last week uh, we lost the beginning of the June 9th sermon, lecture 112, 
and we lost the conclusion, which always makes people very unhappy with me on the Internet. We lost 10 minutes or 15 minutes on both sides, and so almost a total catastrophic failure last week, which means I need to repeat it. Um, and I, uh, once again, those of you who attend here uh, get another beating, and I don't know what to do about it. It's just part of the problem that we have. Um, it, it doesn't seem fair, and of course it doesn't seem fair precisely because it isn't fair. And, and again, uh, that's just one of life's first lessons. Fairness in this fallen world is in short supply. Uh, I think of John Wayne all the time. I don't know, ask you why, or don't ask me why. I just love John Wayne. And, and as you know, he said, life is hard. Uh, it's a whole lot harder when you're stupid. And I just can't say that enough. That should be a, if I had a theme song, that would be it. Uh, a lot of times I mix cliches and, th- and say things that like, uh, life is not a bowl of fairies. That'll be funny to you later tonight. All of that uh, uh, leads to today's repetition of last Sunday's mail, which also got cut off and lost. And, and I read last Sunday's mail because it addressed our technical problems, and I wanted them to know that why we're having it. That You may remember that I, I wanted to do that if you were here. All the Internet people, I wanted to explain why we're struggling still with our recordings and our website postings. I get a ton of mail asking me that. Um, and so uh, let me recap that again so we get it there. Uh, we are a very small congregation. A few resources for you folks out there. I know you think uh, because we have this Internet presence that we must have a pretty large group. We don't. Uh, in the summer, it's really small. This is Alaska. And people run for the hills and uh, and they listen when they can. And we don't stop them. We think it's a good idea. But that means we just don't have the manpower. Everyone here has other commitments, other jobs. Some of us work every single day, week after week. That's me and Lori. We never get a day off. Uh, think farmers. That's kind of what we're doing. And it's tough. And it's now summertime. And it's the only time I can really uh, get anything done. And um, And we hope to... Uh, go as long as we can, even though I'm getting a lot older at this. So this is going to continue for a while, and and, and that leads to problems like last week and problems. Um, and I'll read your mail again this week because it got I got it got lost last week. But uh, just to say it again, we're all very tired. We've been we're paying the price for having to sell our building, our wonderful, beautiful building. We worked very hard, exhaustively hard on it. Had my basketball court in it. It had a pool table. I loved that building. We worked hard, and we couldn't hold it. We weren't big enough, and uh, and it was brutal. And we haven't recovered from that. People are just we burned them down, and that's just how it is. So long story short, long sad story short, um, we have trouble with the technical issues. We screw up a lot. We fall down, go boom, and last week was the prime example. So I got to reread this mail uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm just going to go a lot slower. Just mention you folks not, and not read everything. Uh, David from Nebraska, uh, he, he uh, wanted to know why I or he, he's beginning to connect Judges 19 and 20 to Sodom and Gomorrah, and David is absolutely right to do that. And I'm going to get to that in a second, as a matter of fact, um, because of its uh, how it fits in today's. Uh, uh, lecture as well. And Sharon from Texas, let me read her again. And this is what she said. Uh, I think every most of you were here, um, but it still was funny. She's always funny. Some new thoughts uh, pursuant to hearing the latest batch of sermons, and particularly Romans number 105, BTW. And then she tells me what that means, because she knows I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it would be ever so nice if we could get a weekly sermon or sermons rather than gorging every five to six weeks. I'm assuming posting them at the website immediately after they are preached is a goal. Yes, ma'am, it is a goal. And um, we're just uh, we're just going to struggle with that. Then she goes on to talk about Lot and makes a relationship with Noah, which that make, that gets her to where David is with regard to Sodom and Judges. And then... Um, she says this, question, read the blog. 
And that makes me laugh because I'm supposed to be writing a blog. Yes, you all laugh. Um, and I intend to, Sharon, but it's it's not going to happen in the summer, baby. There's <laughs> nothing I can do. Is there a different URL where it is located? The website, cliffside.org, uh, says, We are excited to announce the new Cliffside blog. Stop by each week to read posts from Steve. <laughs> Oops. Church gathering and other upcoming events. Either it's MIA somewhere else or not being contributed to yet. I've been stopping by, but I have none of Daniel Boone's genes. <laughs> so I get lost easily. Yes, uh, Sharon, uh, sadly... Uh, that falls on me as well, and uh, we're just, those are hopeful things, and, and we're just not getting there. Uh, I'm sorry. But what I want to talk about, about those two really fast, Lot and Noah, the connection between the two of them, both of them are drunk, as you know, one in a cave, one in a tent, and the question becomes immediately, uh, because uh, Lot clearly had a uh, what we would call a sexual event with respect to his daughters, and out of that is the Moabites, of course, uh, uh, you know that uh, Ruth is in the line of of, uh, of the Messiah, but uh, all of that uh, makes people wonder what's going on in uh, in Noah in in his tent. And then we go back to Adam, where we had Adam uh, asleep, and that was a surgical event and not a sexual event. Though some would su- suggest that it was some kind of reproductive event because Adam's DNA was involved. And so does it connect to Sodom as well? And do I connect Adam and Lot to Sodom uh, and therefore Noah? Was Sodom a sexual event or a surgical procedure or both? So that's the, the question that starts to come up with Noah, uh, Lot, uh, um, uh, Adam, and Sodom. And as you know, I mostly conclude that uh, Sodom was surgically based. It's a surgical um, Procedure, if you will, its intent is to um, uh, gain material that they figured out was very valuable. And that's what happened to all the strangers that entered into Sodom. They were essentially harvested. And I believe they were harvested for their parts. Because Sodom had figured out how to utilize that and what to do. That's why they were so extraordinarily evil. You can put the sexual issue in there, if you will. Uh, that's the, what's called the both position. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and deal with the both position. Uh, it does have validity uh, because of Leviticus, and, and we'll get to that. But at least I conclude, um, primarily I do, <clears throat> that um, the defeat of death through the, through the decay process, in other words, they were looking at the decay process and trying to, uh, to lengthen it at the very least, it, or defeat it. Their intent was to defeat death at Sodom. That is the whole context of Sodom. And that's what was going on there. That's the primary importance, and that is why God intervened. As a, you have to ask the obvious question. What was so horrible there that made him blow it up? And he only blows up places um, where something... He blows up Genesis 6. He blows up Genesis uh, 18 and 19. So what makes him do that? Well, something extraordinary did. And, and you just can't say it was sexual immorality. If that were true, he'd wipe out Muldoon. So, I mean, it, it just it can't be. It has to be more. Uh, and, then, uh, and I'll get into that in a moment. Here's Yvonne from Brazil. And thank you, Yvonne, uh, for writing. Uh, Dear Pastor Chronister, I'm writing to you from Brazil. No, not Brazil, Indiana. See, see what I learned? I didn't know there was a Brazil, Indiana. I knew there's a Honolulu, Alaska. Don't go there. I worked there for a while. Uh, there's not much there. There's a railroad has a, a, tra- a section there. That's all. I'm writing to you from Brazil. No, not Brazil, Indiana. Northeast Brazil at the tip of the tropical rainforest in the southern hemisphere, which is definitely very different than Alaska. Our temperature here is rarely below 80 Fahrenheit. And, you know, Yvonne, today we're 84. I should look you up. And only rarely below 70% humidity. Uh, Truly, the only difference between summer and winter is that in winter there is a lot more rain. Well, that's there's hardly any difference between summer and winter here either, Yvonne. In summer, there's a lot less snow. And what do they call it? The three months of bad sledding here. Uh, 
On Sermon Audio, I stumbled across your extremely interesting messages when I was preparing for my junior Sunday school class about Moses in the book of Numbers. And as you know, I have quite a, uh, a view in Numbers that is, I have uh, Moses, uh, well, never mind, I'll... I had known about the parallels of the Jewish betrothal comparison in the New Testament. However, never had heard anyone extend the steps in the Jewish wedding to God and his wife Israel in the Old Testament. Actually, I have almost abandoned listening to my other previously favorite preachers, <laughs> as I have been fascinated by how much you bring out and open the scriptures from covering to cover. I am very sorry that she's talking about her previous uh, preachers. I am very sorry and, and am sure they are all crying bitterly. Fake sorry, of course. So, I have corrupted Brazil. Come on, you have to give me some credit. I have many, many questions. However, perhaps the following will do for now. Um, Then she asked, um, let's see. uh, She says this. uh, Two preachers whom I often listen to say that when a Jewish person becomes a believer in Christ as Messiah, they cease to be Jewish. Do you agree with this statement? No. (laughs) Uh, uh, Wow. Uh, I am familiar with this, by the way. This is replacement theology, and I do know about it, and I do hear it. I just didn't... uh, You have to consider really fast. uh, Physical descendants of Abraham or physical descendants of Abraham. Um, Now, there is a distinction in the Bible between physical descendants of Abraham and spiritual descendants of Abraham. And a physical descendant can, of course, be a physical, uh, a spiritual descendant. But a, a spiritual descendant, if that's a Gentile, cannot be a physical descendant. When you talk about Paul and Peter and, and the apostolic fathers, all of them were Jewish. All of them were believers. Did they lose their Jewishness? And it's clear, obvious, that Paul did not think that he had lost his Jewishness. He practiced as a Jew. He went to the Jews first. He made talits, not tents. He made prayer shawls. The name for talit is is not in the Greek, and so it came out tent. He was not a tent maker. He maintained his um, his um, headdress, if you will, for lack of a better term, his head covering work. He made them and sold them to the Jews. Never, never is there an indication that Paul thought he was anything but a Jew. So, um, uh, I, uh, and God, of course, has specifically many, many statements. We'll get to those in Romans. So, so no, Yvonne, I don't agree with that. And then she asked another question. Um, since there are so many significant events that occur on Jewish feast days, do you believe the rapture of the church will occur on a feast day? Uh, I, yes, I do. I do. Which day is that day? We don't know. That's one of the things God says. He says, um, I hate your feast day, speaking to Israel. They had so corrupted them that he declares them to be something that he despises. They're no longer the feasts of Israel. They are, the I'm sorry, the feast of the Lord. They are the feasts of Israel. They have added to them and corrupted them. And he says so um, in Scripture. So what days they actually are? That still uh, is that uh, maybe might not be something that we can know, but uh, and he does say that we won't know the day or the hour, uh, but that we will be able to see the time gathering. We might even be able to see the door, uh, and I think that's possible. And certainly, I believe it's feast day connected. Is it Pentecost or trumpets? Um, that's a very good question, and uh, I don't necessarily know the answer to that. I have my position, and yes. Uh, Yvonne, I do think it's trumpets, but um, I'll have to deal with that on a later date, not today. And now I have Armando, uh, dear Pastor Steve uh, from Naples, Florida. Uh, dear Pastor Steve, I'm an avid listener of your sermons and have downloaded just about all of them. I went to your web page to get the latest sermons and you haven't posted any. I hope there is nothing wrong. Uh, haven't posted any since April. Uh, no, Armando, and again, I'm reading all of these so that you folks will know we're we're hanging in there. That's where we're at, and um, we're doing what we can. And we'll just 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 please have patience with us. Uh, we'll do better um, uh, soon. I know that I say that a lot, but it just is what it is. Also, I can never find your blog on the Cliffside web page. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I plan. I, I, you know, I know I have to do that. I will do it. 
It just puts me in a loop, he says, apparently. Please keep those sermons coming, especially the study on the book of Romans. The latest one I have is Sermon 107. Also, do you have a newsletter? If you do, I would like to subscribe. Uh, I pray that Jesus continues to bless your ministry, Armando. And we really appreciate it, Armando. And, and uh, uh, again, uh, we're doing what we can. Now I have uh, uh, Jovan, I hope, from London. Uh, hi, I am Jovan, a Macedonian who lives in London, whose life has been changed since 2008 when I found one of your sermons on Sermon Audio. I've never missed a sermon since, and I have to admit that you ruined my life. <laughs> That's why I'm reading it again. It made me laugh. Uh, you made me weird like you. And, I, of course, I disagree. Uh, Jovan, you, were, you had to already be weird to, to find me. I know that, uh, that you know what are the consequences of listening to you, and one of those is every day asking myself what is the most obvious of the obvious questions. So I wanted to point out not only have I corrupted Arizona, but I have destroyed uh, uh, London and now Brazil. So I'm very happy about that. Not destroyed, that's being so. The time in which we live, the imminent world economic collapse, are the things of which I am no longer afraid. I am so grateful to God for your teaching about the things which I had never heard nor found. And, um, and uh, I, would, I hope that I would meet you and your congregation one day. Um, <laughs> we, we, we're trying to hide. We can. Um, I hope you can start a video streaming soon so we Internet cliffsiders can see the magical dry erase board and study better. Uh, greetings, cliffside. And so, uh, again, thank you folks for writing. We're working on this stuff. We, we do have a plan in place to begin to stream uh, things and all of that. But right now, especially this time of year, we just don't have uh, the uh, manpower resources. Uh, and so that's the problem. And I know some of you have said, we will help you. We don't have the people to find you to get you to help us. That's where we're at. Uh, we're uh, just... We, we will, we will endeavor to persevere. That's uh, Chief Dan George. Notice John Wayne and Chief Dan George. Anyway, here we go. Where am I? Almost back to normal, now, which is not necessarily a good thing, as you know. I've got to go fast because I've got to try to get as much in as I can, <coughs> and at least clean up what I did last week. I want to address Sharon from Texas and David from Nebraska kind of in combination here. Both are considering Sodom and Judges 19. As I said, I believe that's absolutely correct thing to do. It's, uh, it's wise to do so. And I'm going to, I'm going to answer their questions about Lot and Sodom and Noah and the tent and Adam and the surgical procedures and the, and the uh, issue with regard to sexual events. I'm going to add, I'm going to answer that. But I'm going to do it uh, in, um, in a way that then no one may know it. It's a misdirection. And what I mean by that is I'm going to raise Adam and Abel and Christ as a means of applying it to Sodom, Lot, and Noah, and Adam, again, on the other side, uh, which is, uh, of course, as you know, Romans 5:12 and Genesis 6, essentially, maybe a little Genesis 18 and 19. So it's not necessarily going to be readily apparent, but I hope you're going to get it. So doing it this way... Uh, I think uh, will connect everything for you. As you know, there's the issue of two deaths, right? Everybody should uh, has hopefully thought this through. There is what we call natural death, death by corruption, if you will, you want to call it that, or death by eventual disintegration. That's happening to me. It's happening while I'm speaking to you, and it's starting to be uh, apparent now. Um, the, the, the crumbling or the deterioration of the body, I watched my dad deteriorate, uh, almost decompose in front of me. Uh, in fact, uh, he had a, a, an odor to him that I'll never forget because he was literally rotting. And so this age, sickness, disease, whatever you want to call it, it is death by corruption or death by decay or what I like to call internal death. So, we'll put internal up here, internal death. 
And so what's the other death? If that's death number one, then what would the other death be? Obviously, if it's not internal, it's death by, or not natural, if you want to call death natural, which uh, I would argue that it is not intended and nor is it natural. It is, a, it is an abomination. It is a consequence. It was never something that God placed here by design. It is a man's free will that, is the result, that results in death. But as opposed to death by uh, natural means, we would have death by unnatural means, to use that phrase, which would be what? Violence, right? Uh, you know, go out in the woods here without a gun, you're in trouble. You're going to run into bears and moose. And uh, they're not particularly uh, pleasant. And so we have people killed by snakes. We have people killed by spiders. Uh, all of that happens in Guam, which is where Anna's going with, uh, with uh, Drew. But we have violent death. We have murder. We have trauma. We have what I would suggest is death imposed upon you or external death. So, get ahead of me now. Start thinking. Why is he bringing up the two types of death? And I have separated them into two types and wrestled with it over the years. And some have suggested three and four. I keep breaking them back down to those two. I think everything will fit into them at some point. So, uh, get ahead of me. Adam is the first man, I'm going to say male, to make sure that no one misunderstands me. Which of those two was he the first to, first male to experience? Clearly, he experienced internal death, right? He contaminated himself with the decaying death, the, the poison death, if you will. Um, you may well say that Adam imposed that kind of death on himself from his free will decision. Of course, so did Eve. But I'm just dealing with Adam because he's a man, a male man. Why am I doing that? Get ahead of me. And that is the, and that's, I agree that Adam did impose death on himself. That's the case. But the death that he imposed was a process. I have time involved here. In Adam's case, I had almost a thousand years. He would look at us and say, wow. Premature aging disease, accelerated aging. You are dying really fast. The evidence in Scripture is that children were not born. Uh, we had a delayed uh, process. Now, we have an accelerated puberty process now. Just look, I taught in the public schools, and um, as you know, and, and that began to happen then. We, of course, did what? What did we blame it on? It? That, that's right, we blamed it on McDonald's. That's exactly what we did. That should be funny, but it really wasn't. That's what we said, but we had puberty being reached at a much faster level. Uh, it's now, um, um, we have this debate now uh, in the country where they're going to give um, very potent drugs to girls as young as 11 um, in order to um, interfere with the pregnancy process. The eugenics movement is, is nothing but... Uh, relentless. Anyway, enough of that. I don't want to get into that. Point is, is that the evidence in Scripture is that uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the, the point, their age that they were at, probably the strongest position is that Adam and Eve were both over a hundred years of age before uh, Cain and Abel, the twin brothers, were born. So I have, I have for whatever reason, I ha we'll have to deal with that at some point. But Adam imposed this death on himself, and he would look at us and say, wow, death is happening to you really, really fast. Everything is happening to you really, really fast. You're decaying quickly where I'm going to live. Uh, even though I'm poisoned, the poison is going to take a thousand years to kill me. Now it doesn't take, it takes, what, 70 years. My dad used to say anything over 80 was gravy. Uh, but, but uh, So again, I'm back now to Romans 5.12. Adam is the first one to have this internal death as a man, the first man, male, to have the internal death, and he transferred the death generator, the mortogenic factor, to all human beings, the so-called natural death. And that places Adam into a relationship with who? If this is Adam, okay, the first one, the primable, the first mention, if you will, 
who is the first for external death? Abel. So I have this relationship now between Adam and Abel, because they both occupy the first. See, Adam with Abel. Uh, because Abel, it was the first man who was murdered, right? Abel's decay process was interrupted. Cain ended Abel's physical life by violence, by murder. He took the life from him, as opposed to allowing the life to expire naturally, right? Adam, the first man to begin to die over time. Abel, the first man who was killed by another. Now, to be fair, and, and I'm really not being fair, it's a fake fair. But let's pretend I'm being fair. I'm going to raise the pre-Adamite view here, or the progressive creation view. There are some who insist that death pre-existed Adam. In other words, I had Adam, he was not the first one to, to have the death factor in him, and Abel was not the first one to be violently killed, that they were in the garden. I'll go ahead and put this on the board really fast. They're in the garden Essentially, even though Abel and Cain are outside of the garden at that time. But while Adam is inside the garden, I have death all around the garden. I have animal death. I have, uh, just, I have a homin, I have, uh, hominoid death, if you will, or they don't, they don't call them homo sapiens. They don't call them humans, but they say that they have human-like appearances. Uh, the, they would call them, of course, the uh, transitional species between man and ape. So uh, mostly ape with some uh, human characteristics. So that's the pre-Adamite position. So that there was death uh, before Adam, physical death and surrounding Adam, Adam, simultaneous to Adam being in the, in the garden. Death was everywhere else outside of the garden. Again, pre-Adamite position, progressive creationism. What do I think of the view? I, uh, I get asked all the time. It's a view that cannot survive uh, any scrutiny at all. It's so easily destroyed. It's effortless to destroy that position. Um, easily invalidated. But nonetheless, it's very popular now. Um, um, James Dobson, Hugh Ross, there's lots of people who seek the blessing of the monistic evolutionary uh, philosophers or the movement. And that's inexplicable to me. Why do I want acceptance from people who believe I will cease to exist, we'll all cease to exist, all there is is chaos and hopelessness and purposelessness? Why do I want them to be my, uh, be somebody who respects me? Uh, I just can't understand why that way. I mean, that's, like, I, again, it's inexplicable. There's no, no way I can explain it. There's no analogy. So we'll get there eventually. I have to deal with this. The reason that I do is because Einstein's theory of relativity demands it. It is necessary. Let me say this. I'm not doing it in the summer. I'm going to probably wait until at least September for obvious reasons. But you must have a fundamental basic capability of explaining and, and internalizing Einstein's theory of relativity. That's essential. To understanding your Bible. Um, so I, I'm going to make sure you have it. Because uh, being the, the concept of time, uh, at the rate, time, the rate of time, the fact that time is a created entity. By the way, that was not always in... Uh, in we, we agree now. Isn't that interesting? The evolutionary monists, um, they now agree with us that time... Uh, had to be had a beginning, where they used to think the universe um, was e eternal in both directions. There, the universe had um, always existed. Now they believe that the universe, uh, in fact, uh, had a beginning, and of course, our matter and energy had a beginning, and therefore, so did time. Okay, where where was I? Uh, Adam, Abel, and Christ. Hopefully, you are ahead of me, and you've made all the connections. When I put Christ in the, into the discussion here, okay, I have Adam is the first to have an internal death, a mortogenic factor that he imposed on himself, and I have Abel who has an external death. He's the um, victim of a murder that was imposed on him. How does Christ fit into this? Be, uh, and uh, again, I want you to kind of get ahead of me here if you can, as best you can. 
I want you to recognize that these two things, these two events that are true, have spawned something that is not true, what I call um, two of the fundamental lies that are said about Christ. So let me put that up here. There are two lies that are related to this that are said about Christ. You should have already figured it out. One of them is, is that Christ's body went to corruption. What does that mean? That, by the way, as you know, is the Jehovah's Witness view. That Christ's body went to corruption. What is corruption? It is decay. Decomposition. They say it all the time. His body decayed. And you should immediately associate the decay of Christ's body. And again, these are the two lies that are always said about Christ. You should immediately associate the corruption, the decay of body to the poisoning of Adam, right? They say that Christ died the first death, the natural death. Lie number two. What's lie number two? Always said about Christ. You hear it every day. What is it? That Christ was murdered. He was just like Abel. Mm-hmm. Or executed. I can't spell today or, or write plain. Lie number one, Christ's body went to decay, corruption, decomposition. He died, the body died a natural life, or a natural death, sorry. And lie number two, Christ was killed or murdered or executed by the Romans or the Jews. They'll say both. And let me repeat, both of those are lies. His body did not go into decay and he was not executed or murdered by anyone. The Bible's very clear. And yes, I'm aware of, of Acts 2.23 through 32 and Acts 11.39 through 41. Those are t- Peter's two statements. Uh, those are the, let me put that really fast. You're going to run into that. People are going to say, what do you mean? Those are the Jesus God and the hymn God. Okay, it's also one of the impossibles. Whenever you get into Acts, with regard to the two statements that are called the two statements of Peter, okay, just remember that's where the word Jesus God, there's no comma. It doesn't say Jesus, comma, God. It says Jesus God, almost as if it is one word, and that's the best way to read it. I'm not doing it right, so let me rewrite it better. I, I do a better job when I'm... There. And it's also the same as him God. So whenever you read that, read it just like that. Crush it together, because that's exactly how the Bible is doing it. Those are the Jesus God and the him God verses. And it's again, uh, Acts 2.24 is the not possible or one of the impossibles. Those verses of Peter's two statements are very complicated, very complex. You've got to add them together to understand what they mean. Don't read one without reading the other. Don't think they say something about Christ being killed by the Jews. Well, first off, you can't make a case for that. The Jews may have been cheerleading, but they weren't involved in the physical act. They certainly wanted it to be done, but it wasn't possible. The Bible is clear that it is not possible for this. And so you've got to read what Peter said. You add them together and read them side by side and compare them and, and almost mix them together in order to get, get it figured out. The first question to be asked when you read uh, the, those two statements is, why did Peter assign the crucifixion of Christ to the Jews only? Because we know that isn't true. Why did he omit the Romans? And why did Peter say crucified, put to death, and killed by hanging when it is certain that Jesus extinguished his own life? John 19.30, John 10.17. He made it clear, you cannot kill me. You can't. I'm the hymn God. 
other Jesus God. You can't kill me. I have to blow out the candle myself. And I can do it instantly. And not only can I do it instantly, I can instantly resurrect myself. That's what he says all through the Bible. And you have to know that. So why did Peter say those two things? I'll explain it uh, on another day, not today. Just know that if you answer the question about why did he omit the Romans and why did he put crucified, put to death, killed by hanging, why did he put all of those together, um, then you will solve it and you won't have any more issues with it. Anyway, common line number two, Christ was killed by human beings. Christ cannot be killed by human beings. Christ cannot die a natural death. He has no decomposition. He has no uh, possibility of decaying into death. And you should immediately associate Christ being murdered every time you see it, the murdered aspect uh, to Abel. It's not coincidental that Adam and Abel are the first two men to have two, to have the two types of death and that Jesus Christ would emphatically declare repeatedly that he is not subject to either. That's not a coincidence. That's purposed. Jesus Christ could not die from the aging process. He was not subject to death from internal sin. He has no internal sin. Duh. And Jesus Christ cannot be killed by external forces. He is not only omnipotent, but he is outside of time. How do you sneak up on someone who is outside of time? You can't betray him. You can't fool him. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, outside of time, creator of time. You, you, you don't fool him. It's impossible. So to repeat... There is no internal death mechanism that exists in him and no external death force that can affect him. He's God himself in the flesh. He's not subject to death. It is not possible, Acts 2.24. Peter tells you it's not possible as he goes on and brings the Jews into the issue there. Okay. Therefore, we see this opposite or correcting element with Christ with respect to Adam and Abel's death processes. Jesus' death is the opposite of Adam's death and the opposite of Abel's death. Anyone who tells you otherwise, absolutely, totally, completely wrong. Can't kill him. No one killed him. He extinguished himself. He can't die. in the sense that he cannot decompose. He cannot go into corruption. So, and that by itself, once you get the fact that every time you see one of those things, that it is bringing up Adam and Abel, and you start recognizing that Christ is the opposite. These are the first two men to have these deaths, and Christ sets himself to refute that for himself. Does that make sense? So hopefully you'll never be fooled by those bumper stickers again. And it fixes, as I said, a multitude of doctrinal errors when you begin to recognize Adam and Abel's uh, relationship to Christ. Christ is in control. Adam lost control. Christ must give up his life. There is no other possibility. He, you can't take it from him. He must extinguish it himself. Okay? Adam's life was taken, or I'm sorry, Abel's life was taken from him. So don't apply Adam and Abel's condition to Jesus Christ. We call that what? Heresy. And notice, by the way, really fast, the opposite of the given and the taken. Christ has to give his life. Abel's life was taken from him. It's, there's a, the, the opposite is always emphasized in the Bible as opposed to uh, what people think. The contrast of Christ's death to Abel's death, the, the opposite, that is, the give and the take, solves Noah's tent, by the way, and solves uh, Sodom and Judges and Lot in the cave, for that matter. All of that is solved. Do you see how? Christ says in John 11:25 that he is the only life, the only resurrection. He calls himself the never die. I am the never die. I am the only resurrection. I am the only life. There is no other life. There is no other resurrection. I am the only one. Do you believe this? That's what he asks. I am the singular. There is no other resurrection. There is no other life. I am the never die. That's what he says. 
Okay, if that's who he is, then what's the opposite of that? Because he is the opposite. His death is the opposite of Adam's death. His death is the opposite of Abel's death. So if he is the never die, and he is the resurrection, and he is the life, what's the counterfeit? What's the opposite? What's the fake? What I like to call, what is the always die? If he's the never die, i got to have an always die. What is it? Recognizing the always die is very important. What is the opposite process that deceives people, that fools people for a time? They eventually find out. Where do they find out? They find out at the great white throne. Do they care? No. They always they choose the always die. Why would anyone choose the always die? He comes and he says, I am the never die. Whosoever believes in me will never die. I'm it. I'm the never die. I got perfect blood, sinless blood here, blood transfusion. I got perfect flesh. Here's the flesh. You get a new body. You get my blood. We take your mind. We put it into a functioning. I'm, I'm fantastic at this. I'm really good at making people. I'll fix it. I'll fix all of it. Anna's got two little tiny dogs. I, I, they look kind of like ferrets. They're very sweet. They're little tiny things. They're King Charles Cavalier ferrets. They can't be dogs. They're too small. God's going to fix it. I tell her all the time. He's going to fix what we did to those dogs. That's not how he designed them. Taking care of that. Next time you see those dogs, Penelope and Nala. Nala will look more like a lion, not a ferret. You might like him like that. He didn't leave him like that. That's good news. I don't want to be like this either. I'm going to have some characteristics of me. You'll know it's me. I'll probably still be a little weird. But uh, I won't look like this. Uh, there's a sh- She has a, a book. I hate to keep bringing up Anna, but she told me about a book that she was reading or somebody was reading about a little boy that says, Heaven is real. Okay? Heaven is real. He got that right. But he described it horribly. It bears no resemblance to the Bible. And so that's how I can tell it's a fraud. Almost all of those books are frauds. Okay, let me say it better. All of those books are frauds. Don't be fooled. I'll go over that uh, maybe another day. Maybe next week. Remind me how I can spot them as counterfeits. But anyway, uh, they always die. What is the opposite process of resurrection, life, and the never die? And, of course, the opposite process is what's going on at Sodom and Genesis 6. Lot watched the opposite process. He watched the complete counterfeit. He watched the fake. He saw it. Genesis 6 again. God intervenes at Sodom. He intervenes at Genesis 6 because they had begun to figure out the opposite of resurrection, life, and never die. When Christ says never die, he means never die for eternity. His definition of life is different than our definition of life. He means an end to our sinful will. Okay? So Sodom, Judges 19 and 20, Revelation 19, uh, verses 19 through 21, those are descriptions of people who think life can be taken from another to sustain themselves. That's what's going on. I can harvest your life, take your life. You cannot take Christ's life. The real life cannot be taken. He cannot. No one killed him. No one can kill him. It is impossible to kill God. But yet he gives his life up. It's a sacrificial system. It's a medical, surgical procedure, if you will. It is making his blood available to us. They call us a religion of blood. They are right. Out of the temple of Jerusalem were troughs that were, I don't know for sure how deep they were, but they ran for miles and they were filled to the brim with the blood. We are a religion of blood. That's a good thing. So anyway, 
Revelation 19, 19 through 21 adds to the blind ignorance that Christ can be killed. Armageddon is about all of these people coming together thinking they can do something. What do they think they can do? They think they can kill the coming God of Israel. He's coming for Israel. And they think they can kill him. And they think they can kill his people. Arnold G. Fruchtenbaum, you're never going to wipe out the Jews. Never. Can't kill them. God's going to save them. That's his plan. It's always been his plan. They are the wife of YHVH. He restores them. Anyone who says otherwise never read his Bible. Okay. So off you go. I gave you enough information right there. Adam, Abel, Christ being, his death being the opposite of their deaths. How that fits into Sodom and Gomorrah and Judges 19. And Armageddon, and you now can figure it all out without me. So I'm going to clean up some more debris from last week while I can. Hopefully I make it. <laughs> uh, where the interruption occurred last week is where I said this. And so I'm going to start from here and go really fast. Elisha knows that Elisha knows, and Elisha knows that Elisha knows, and Elisha knows that Elisha knows that Elisha knows. What we're talking about is Second Kings 1 and 2, for those of you who weren't here. There's a conversation that occurs in 2 Kings 2 between Elijah and Elisha, and they both know what, that the other knows while they're talking, everything they said. They both know that the other one knows exactly what they're doing and what they're saying. They're not saying it for one another. They're saying it for the people that are listening to them. And that is the one of the places in the Bible where that occurs between two men that's absolutely extraordinary. Everybody knows, and everybody knows that everybody knows. When I say everybody, I mean Elisha and Elijah. Okay? And that's what makes Second Kings 2 so important. That display, this conversation that they have between two who are saying and doing things for those who are watching and listening. What is that? That is a picture of who? Jesus Christ. When he talks, when the triune God talks to itself, if you will, out loud, there is no reason for Christ to ever speak out loud to himself. When he's on the cross quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, he never says, my God, my God. He always says, my Father, my Father. You know immediately that he is speaking not to himself. He doesn't speak to himself. He's God. If he's allowed, it's because it's for our sake. In that case, it was for the sake of Israel. Because that is exactly what they say as they are in Basra at the end of the age. So this conversation is picturing Christ. Elijah and Elisha know already everything they say and do is said and done for those who are standing near them. That is why Elisha says to his people there, keep silent. Don't ask me if I know. I know. Don't even think I don't know. He's a picture of Christ. Do not ask Jesus Christ if he knows. Never say to yourself, I wonder what Jesus thought about that. I wonder if he knew that. I wonder if he knows. He's omniscient God. It is shameful to say it. Elisha portrays the omniscience of Jesus Christ. He does it. Here in 2 Kings 2, he does it in 2 Kings 5.26, he does it in 2 Kings 6.32. Elisha, the prophet, is known, that's one of the things he does, is portray the omniscience of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God himself, he knows all things. That's what John 19.17 is about, that's Peter. Never, never, never question the omniscience of Christ, it's shameful. That's what 2 Kings 2.17 is about. Be silent. Never say that. It's shameful to say that Christ doesn't know. It's drivel. It's blasphemy. Quit it. Now, <coughs> the conversation between Elijah and Elisha is clearly not for the sake of Elijah and Elisha. I can't say that enough. It's for the sake of the sons of the prophets of Jer Bethel and the sons of the prophets of Jericho. And again, Bethel is filled with Baal. Baal's the bubblers, right? The people who are at, at Bethel, uh, which is the house of God, is that what that name is, is now a place of great apostasy. So Elisha and Elijah both know that the people that are listening to them are Baal's the bubblers. 
They want to kill them. And you will find commentators who call this a testing of Elijah, imply that there's a possibility that Elisha would fail. And, and, uh, and again, he's portraying the omniscience of God. See Matthew 4 and John 19, 17. Elisha was not going to fail. He knew all the answers. He knew everything. The failures come at Jericho and Bethel. But Jericho is saved and Bethel is cursed. And it's obvious we need to ask and explore if the 50 at Bethel, who are the 50 uh, that mock Elisha. In other words, the uh, the 50 at Bethel, the, the sons of the prophets there, uh, the sons of the prophets of who? Baal? Zebub? Are they also the 50 who mock Elisha and are eaten by the bears? In other words, 42 were dead. Because it seems clear to me that the 50 from Jericho are the 50 who see the smiting of the Jordan and are also the 50 who refuse to believe that the body is unfindable. And so both that 50 is the same, so it's logical to me that the 50 at uh, Bethel and the 50 who mock him, call him, go up, O bald head, are the same 50. And so that tells you that these are not small little children. That is a um, transcription or translation error, whichever you prefer. I know that brings a lot of heartache to people but sometimes it is what it is. Okay? And then, again, I'm going fast. I did this last week. So the people here are just really, you should see their drool if you're on the Internet. We had a picture of the audience. It's brutal. But I need you to notice that both Elijah and Elisha kill the Jordan River. They both kill the Jordan River. And that's the river, if you read Romans 5.12 and and combine it with Joshua 3.16, you see that that is the river that flows from Adam and goes descends from Adam into death and judgment in the Dead Sea. And so that is a picture of the morogenic factor, the Romans 5.12 issue. Okay, And both Elijah and Elisha They kill that river. So they kill death and judgment that descends from Adam. That's why they're doing it. And they do it at a particular place. And that particular place is the exact place where the axe head is raised. That is the exact place where Christ, of course, is uh, baptized by John the Baptist. He does not, he is portraying the axe head and the branch being thrown at the same time. He does not need to be baptized. He has no sin. There is no repentance for him. He is portraying the ark that is there that stands in the Jordan River in Joshua. And he is there uh, as the axe head and he is there as, uh, uh, as the killing, if you will, of death and judgment. He kills and ends death and judgment. That's what he's trying to do. He's displaying for us everywhere that Christ goes. He's displaying and teaching us who he is. He is revealing God's plan. So Elijah and Elisha portraying Christ both kill the killer. They kill death. That's what's happening when Christ is dying. He is smoting the Jordan River. And as you know, it's very important to know that Christ was crucified on top of the skull of Goliath. And you've got that. David cuts the head off of Goliath, as you know, and he buries it on the exact place where Christ is crucified. Christ orchestrates and designs his crucifixion so his feet are on top of the skull of Goliath. That is why it's called Golgotha or Golgoliatha, the skull of Goliath. That is where he was crucified, the Garden of Golgotha. Okay? And so Elijah and Elisha kill the killer. They kill death and they picture Christ killing death or ending sin. And they say things to each other that they already know. And so when you see that, uh, I hope it's obvious to you that this is just like what Christ is doing at Gethsemane when he says, let this cup pass. Just when he goes and he tries to wake up, doesn't try, he tells the disciples to wake up. Uh, all of that that's happening is the same thing that's happening here. It is a teaching time for them. He is teaching them. It, again, it is Psalm 22.1. And, and, and I hope that's obvious, okay? And next week now that I've caught up, uh, we're going to take on My Father, My Father, which is not the same as My God, My God, or, and why did Elisha tear his clothes, and for whom is he weeping? When Christ weeps, who is he weeping for? Almost everywhere in Scripture, he is weeping for the lost of Israel. Those are his brethren. He's a Jew. He weeps for his Jews. That's what God does. Those who have rejected him. That's the lost. 
That's why he agonizes over the cup. Because he knows that blood, his blood will not be on those who are not in the cup. That makes sense. So, we're going back to Bethel and Jericho. He's not weeping for Jericho. He's saving Jericho with the salt bowl and the, uh, I'm sorry, the salt and the new bowl. Uh, but he has brought judgment to Bethel with the two bears. So next week, we're now right back to where we belong. The only thing I added to you was Abel and Adam, of which Christ is the opposite. Once you've got that, you start solving these things. That's why I threw it in there. Let's rise and be dismissed, and everybody gets ten hamburgers, I think.